Howdy, Damon. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. I'm great. I'm great. Excited to talk to you. Here I am. Here you are. Ask me anything. I'm going to channel William S. Burroughs and start there. I came across the essay he wrote, Discipline of Doing Easy, and I watched a short film on it. For a few days, I just sort of became obsessed with trying to tease that out a little bit. So in the essay, it starts like this. He calls doing easy DE. DE is a way of doing. It is a way of doing everything you do. DE simply means doing whatever you do in the easiest, most relaxed way you can manage, which is also the quickest and most efficient way as you will find as you advance in DE. Then he goes on to say, you can start right now tidying up your flat, moving furniture or books, washing dishes, making tea, sorting papers. Consider the weight of objects, exactly how much force is needed to get the object from here to there. Consider shape and texture and function. Where exactly does it belong? So I want to have a conversation around this idea of doing easy efficiently and probably share a couple other passages as well before we're all done. And also think about it in terms of flow, which in a very confident way calls itself the ultimate state of human consciousness where we feel our best perform our best. And I'm wondering if there's a bridge, if these are overlapping, if they're the same thing. What do you think of when you think of DE and flow? And sort of wanted just to open that conversation up. I think of two things that have come up for me in the last week of work and play. And there is easy to be found kind of behind each of them. Mm -hmm. So one of them is, as you know, I've been trying to learn to river surf, Mm. which is a totally different kind of surfing. There's a sort of element in the river where there's a wave that is kind of going against the river current. And so you sort of fall into it. And then instead of traveling with a wave that reaches shore, the wave kind of stays in one place, although its features change a bit. Mainly the wave's fairly constant and you're sort of static within it. Getting in, catching those, figuring out the different moves, just pretty simple stuff for me has been a big learning curve. And I had this funny thing earlier this week when I was actually really upset. I had my mind full of personal and kind of work thoughts and I went surfing and I was much better. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, if I'm not thinking about it, I'm better at it. Hmm. And I feel like behind that is this easy concept and certainly flow. You know, when I had these other things on my mind, I didn't have that in my mind. And so easy was kind of behind that. Hmm. And I've noticed this week, I was really trying to force things at work. I was trying to make things happen sort of above and beyond. And I don't know what I expected to happen once they happened or didn't happen. Just was really self-punishing. And so it was just hard and it didn't have to be. Hmm. And it's taken me last 24 hours to try to catch up with myself and just kind of be where I actually am and go from there. And that's been a really wonderful shift. And I feel like I've been getting stuff done more effectively as well as feeling better. So I guess those are hmm. my two really personal work and play reactions to the, the doing easy idea. 
I can't wait to talk more about the river surfing and what you just shared sounds amazing. And I'll, I'll throw in another Burroughs line. If you drop an object, break an object, spill anything, knock painfully against anything, galvanically clutch an object, pay particular attention to the retake. And it feels a little bit like you're at a point when you can shift your attention or your mind somewhere else. In this case, it was somewhere that was negative and wasn't necessarily a pleasant feeling to shift it. But the fact that you could shift it that way and get better says a lot about what your body is capable of and the muscle memory that you're developing. So that's super cool. Sounds like your body is kind of wiring into being able to perform the the moves or the function, which is awesome. But, you know, take two, take three, take four. And knowing you, you are, at least in my short experience of you and I doing anything adventurous together, I sort of feel like you are just hardwired to try things more than once. I don't know. Am I on base with that? Or do you stop in between wipeouts when you, as Burroughs said, break an, an object, spill anything, knock painfully against anything? Do you stop and analyze that or do you just like right back in there and try it again? I try to have one of my mottos be, I'll try anything twice. <laughs> and as you know, that does often mean a lot more than twice. Now, I won't say I'm not analyzing or thinking about it too, but I try to have the experience get ahead of the analysis if I can. And certainly when that's true, things go a lot better. You can just spend so much time thinking about whether or how or if and when or how much to do something versus just doing it a bunch of times and learning and getting that feedback from experience mm. in my experience. What was his word though? The last word, pay attention to the retake. The, Is that the, what the word was? Yeah. The retake. So go, go do it again and do it and pay, ah, and pay okay. more, pay more attention to it on the retake. Okay. Unpack that for me. So pay more attention to it on the retake means, you know, if you screw something up, do the thing again, but then do it more carefully or pay more attention as you're doing it? Is that not the opposite of what we've been advocating? Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that we're saying, don't pay attention, just, just go with it? Right. And his next line is, you may find out why and forestall a repeat performance. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. So get the feedback from failure. And I think you said to me just a few minutes ago, after a wipeout or something, it's not like I'm not analyzing it. And I think that that's the thing, right? We're looking for patterns and we're looking for those patterns to provide the experience that we're after. And that's really under the umbrella of flow, you know, where we're kind of capable of creating the conditions for ourselves to have different parts of our brain speak with one another. And that newness, creativity, joining different parts that have their own specific skills can allow us to become more adept at finding the patterns, seeing patterns. And that challenge skills part of it is so important where I think for me, river surfing, if I were to go out today and try it, I would be terrified, right? Mortified. And I don't know, would I get in? I'm not sure, right? Because the challenge skills ratio feels higher than what in the flow space recommends around 4%. So that you want to be attempting something that's just on your tiptoes, where you just, you know, you're barely getting there. You're almost there. You're still trying to lock in those patterns. And as it turns out, you're sort of under the hood, we're no longer kind of in that inner critic space. And we're not turning the camera around on ourselves. We're really 
reaching for that thing, driving our focus into the moment, more dopamine. And that's a powerful formula to learn. So this doing easy thing as an overlap somewhere within flow, but I agree with you. I'm sensing that you're maybe not seeing a true overlap between the two. I have two questions. One <laughs> is, what is the 4% stat uh, you cited? Is there a specific example just so I can kind of understand it? Yeah, thank you for, for saying that. That jargon uh, rattles around in my head so much that sometimes I don't unpack it. So Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's sort of the godfather of flow, he worked with a mathematician, I believe, at MIT, and they created this algorithm around specific people trying to make advancements in more adventure sports. The basis of it is that people were driven more into flow when they were trying to attain something that was approximately 4% out of their comfort zone or their wheelhouse. And in a way, you can sort of fill in the blank with that. I like to use it a little bit more cottagey, you know, and not necessarily as some hard science, but more conceptually. Just search yourself. Where are you with different elements in your own life? I mean, we play these avatars where a lot of different types of characters and in those different areas, we may say, for example, rank ourselves at a seven or an eight because I'm a heck of a dad or maybe a two or a three because I've been sitting on my butt watching Netflix. And I think if you take that another step further from there, the things that sort of come to mind are the ones that are kind of next steps or it's the overwhelm of, oh my God, I'm never going to make it to my ultimate goal. So in a way, it sort of reels you back in. So maybe 4% in that type of jargon would be the next couple steps where you kind of leap and you're like, not quite sure you're going to stick the landing, but you're pretty sure you're going to get there. Those are kind of the 4% mindset areas. So to get to easy, make things harder. Mm. Don't make them easier. Don't stay the same, make them harder, but make them just a little bit harder. <laughs> so it's like a game. It's a little challenge. It's a stretch that you can do. But at the same time, don't fall back. Don't coast. Do do a little stretch. Just kind of get on your toes is the way I'm sort of translating this into a visual. Yeah. And if you thought of an X, Y axis on one side, challenge, the other side, skills. And the upper right quadrant where the challenge is high, but the skill level is also high, that's kind of a high level to be able to get in the zone. When you think about that flow as a concept and, and just how it sort of has been sprinkled in to some of the language that we use throughout generations, for example, jazz musicians, when they're in flow, it's called being in the pocket yeah, man, I was in the pocket last night, you know? And that's just kind of how you would talk about it. When I remember as a kid, tennis, when you were playing out of your head, right? That's one way to say it. I was out of my head. We called it treeing. Like, <laughs> and and then it was just a word. Because you're rooted or because you're... No, you're playing, like you're, up in the, you're up in the trees. Yeah. yeah, awesome. You're swinging. You're you're not you're not walking on the ground. You're swinging. Right. Oh, I lost a Valentino, man. He was treeing. I love it. Yeah. Treeing. Treeing. Yeah. So tell me, I want to get personal because I want to be able to picture it because this 4% and stuff like that, it's a little nebulous. Mm -hmm. So what are some moments in the past week that you have felt that you were doing easy or where you were kind of lagging, you were out of flow and you got on your toes, you put on that 4% more and it got you there? Hmm. I mean, great questions. 
The second one I'll answer first, and I'll say that I didn't elect to go with a 4% more when I was out of flow and you know, kind of banging my head against things or even a little flat. I actually opted to rest and recover and to go that route because that's just another element of this. It's not always 4%, right? It's not always next steps. It's struggle, which to me, the two that are most important. So there's this flow cycle. First part of the cycle is a struggle, trying to, you know, pattern recognize, trying to figure out how to get up on the board, trying to not get swept away in the river. You know, how do I deal with the current, all that stuff. And then there's a release where you stop obsessing about it. You kind of put it on the back burner a little bit and it allows your brain to kind of wire that experience in a little bit more. It's more efficient, which is counterintuitive, right? And then it's flow. Then you're just, you're treeing. But the final one after that is recovery. And so for me as a coach and, and when I run programs and all of that stuff, I really emphasize the struggle, struggle more efficiently, recover more effectively. And I think if you live in those two spaces, and those are things that do land under do easy in a way, the struggle, I think, gets people tripped up. I think we go from struggle and then emotionally we get frustrated. We bang our fists. God damn it. I almost had it. God. Right. And yeah. Or if you're a over perseverer, like I am, it becomes a grind and it's like, I'm just going to do this. I don't know if I'm getting anything done. I don't know if I'm happy. I don't know if I'm making anyone else happy, but I'm just going to keep doing it. I just kind of get chipped away. I'm certainly kind of losing 4% of myself each, each new time. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And the imagery, the little snapshot that pops up in my head to help me alleviate getting stuck in that quicksand of struggle is thinking about babies when they're trying to learn how to walk. I mean, how many times do they almost get their boom on their butt? Over and over and over. But the thing is, is that babies never bang their fists against the ground and say, I'll never get it, right? First of all, they can't typically talk <laughs> when they're trying this. But there's, a, there's almost a sparkle in their eye where it's close. And it's a really beautiful example of how a human learns to pattern recognize and learn how to put all those pieces together. So for me, I try to think about struggle that way. I'm hardwired to struggle, and but then also to kind of get through it. And there has been a time in my life when I've done that, and joyfully, a little bit more like a warrior with a little less of an emotional connection to it. Because what is that emotion when we struggle and we don't get something or it's not going our way? What is that really saying, <laughs> right? I'm thinking it's saying I'm not okay with where I am, with how I am, <laughs> with what is. I'm sort of going up river. I don't know. Yeah. In the, if we're keeping the, the river analogy. I feel like those are all true. And, and to me, I feel like it says I have been a little drunk on it all being about me. Mm, yeah. I, I have a vector of where I think it should go. And there should be no bow in it at all because that's where I'm going. And this is how I see it. And when it doesn't go that way and I pout about that or I get frustrated, what I'm really saying is, number one, it's all about me. Number two, it's not going the way I dreamt it would go or projected it would go. And there's nothing more anti-flow than getting out of the present moment. It trips me up a lot. And at the end of the day, maybe I'd like to shift that 4% and say, I'd like to be 4% closer to when I become aware of my own triggers, getting it closer and closer to real time. 
Does that land with you where there was a time in my life where something happened bad and I held on to it for two years hmm. or longer, right? Some things I'm still holding on to. But then that same kind of intensity thing happened and I held on to it for two months. I think it's kind of a, a cool goal to learn how to hold on to that for, I don't know, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're having a feeling, and it is a negative feeling and you have it fully and you give yourself totally to it. Ironically, it's really hard to sustain it for more than a couple minutes. It's just really hard to focus that long on one thing. <laughs> Whereas if you're kind of pushing it down and squelching it, then it can persist indefinitely and it won't be the dominant experience, but it'll be five seconds or five tenths of a second in every minute for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, five seconds or even five tenths of a second hmm. times 60 minutes times 24 hours times seven days times 52 weeks, you know, in Ooh. one year, you're talking about days, weeks, hours of your life with this intense feeling that you could have kind of got all the way to the end to in two minutes if you let yourself fully feel it because mm -hmm. then you kind of get bored with it. So I guess that's how I translate what you're talking about. But I want to know <laughs> where this happened personally. You're doing such a good therapist <laughs> trick of making it back <laughs> about me, even though it was your example. So you said something in the last week and you rested. And then you said something in the past two years. So uh -huh. what if you care to share, and you of course don't have to, what was the sort of activity or area that you took a, a rest rather than pushing it? And how did you kind of know to do that versus push for the 4% to get back into flow? Hmm. Great question. And, and not to sound vague with it at all, but I stayed present. And a phrase that I like to use is don't judge the drift. And so I was going about my day-to-day -day life and I noticed that I wasn't leaning in to much of anything. I was not leaning in when my wife was asking me about what we should have for dinner. I was not leaning in when my daughter was sharing with me something rather mundane, but sharing with me something nonetheless. I was not leaning in as I was speaking on a Zoom call with uh, a few partners who we've created this flow training or program. And I just noticed all of that. Right. And I, and I felt kind of flat and nobody would notice, you know, nobody would have known that this is the state that I was in, but I just wasn't just my normal kind of pizzazzy self, you know? And so I took note of that. I, I did a few things that would placate me. I think I had a few cookies at like, 1130 in the morning. Mm -hmm. I think I elected to not go out to the garage to get a bottle of Pellegrino. Therefore, I just, just didn't drink water for a couple hours. All of these little things that might fall under the category of, you know, doing easy, but they were not, they were doing lazy. But here's the thing, right? I sort of aware of it all in real time, but it just it never really made it to DEFCON 1. It just was like part of my Blah, blase. And so after, then I felt a little guilt and shame. Like, what am I eating cookies? It's 1130 in the morning. Jesus, man, come on. And instead of going harder, like, come on, get back on the horse. 
I actually just, I went more quiet. Mm. And so I went up to my room and I just sort of sat on the bed. And then I realized that, it, boy, this would be a really good time for me to do yoga nidra. And I have a little audio yoga nidra. It's kind of like a body scan, really awesome practice. We'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. Awesome. And that, in a sense, reset my nervous system and allowed me to sort of deeply rest. And so that felt good. I, I took a little nap after that. I spent like an hour and, you know, it wasn't like I just jumped out of it and I was, you know, dancing around, but I got a little bit more present. And it reminds me of the Harvard research around the mind wandering. I know we've touched on that before, but essentially 50% of the time we're either trapped, carried away with our thoughts that are about the past or the future as we're continuing to go about our day-to-day lives. And in a way, I'm just having a moment here with this doing easy. Maybe that's what doing easy at its most pure is saying that if you are paying attention to all the little things that you're doing and feeling objects for their weight and navigating about your space in a way where you're not banging against things. I think one line was, you know, to to use your broom like you're landing a plane. That really is a remedy in a sense for that 50% mind wandering. You're here. You're simply here living. And that doesn't always mean it's elegant. But when it gets a little more rough and tumble, not that you move slow, like doing easy is the image in my mind, but that you're you're doing without the added film on you of evaluating your emotional experience while doing, perhaps. So anyway, that's my story about recovery and, and the 4% more. I've really been pushing myself professionally lately, and I've been scaling up the things that I you know, that I know how to do, but I haven't done them for years and years and I haven't done them in front of hundreds and hundreds. And so I've felt the intensity of plunging even deeper into now. And and a really nice thing that I feel is maybe the one of the essences of confidence is when you plunge yourself deeper into the moment and the moment that you're working in is 4% more and you see that you've represented yourself most importantly, whether it totally worked or didn't work, whether you had big success or not, you kind of came through the whole intensity, adrenaline, dopamine flow experience and feel like, oh, that was me. And, And to me, I think that's a super important point of allowing ourselves then the confidence to say, oh, I'd like to plunge into a different experience because I'm feeling more confident that if I do, I will bring myself with me. The word that comes to mind for me is authentic. You're just like, I don't need to say it was good or bad, but I can say it was it was me. It was who I really am. And some that was some vulnerability. There was some strengths. You know, my edges were there. I wasn't trying to fit a sort of preset mold. And I don't know the areas you're talking about. Oh, I know how to do these, but I haven't done them in years. But I'm imagining things like teaching, leading, facilitating, group transformation. That's Those are my best guesses. But for all I know, you're talking about, I don't know, doing push-ups. Uh-huh. No, Am you're, you're right. Track? No, you absolutely. I've done things I've never done before. And, and in a way, I think that's kind of a nice feeling. You put a lot of hard work into research. You put a lot of time into, and also just passion and purpose into what it is that one does, I, at least I do. And to see it interacting in a way or to be contributing in that way, because that's what I 
that's what I do. And to have that level of effect on more people than it typically usually does when I do these things is, is really, it's enlivening and it's invigorating and it's me. Yeah. I mean, whether you could say I was not smoothing myself over or repressing myself. I mean, you're still being professional, of course. It's not like you have to be every aspect of yourself Mm -hmm. uh, in every setting, but you're not repressed either. Mm -hmm. You're expressive. I think of that that quote, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs in the movie Almost Famous, Mm. the only true currency in this bankrupt world is what you share with someone else when you're uncool. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not that, you know, there's a coolness in being uncool if you're doing it uh, authentically. You know, uncool is just more like I'm not trying to fit something else. I'm just trying to, to be who I am. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. And I watched, I've been watching a lot of, you know, kind of like Ted talky video within my field. And I watched one the other day and the the hosts had mentioned that when you wake up in the morning, put your hand on your chest, heart, and just say, good morning, Damon. I love you. Hmm. And just how not, you know, I wouldn't even say uncomfortable, but just how maybe detached, I think, we are on that tender level on the whole with ourselves. And, and, and it feels like it's really difficult to go 4% more. You know, you don't want to like crack the whip over your own self either. I don't know when I, when I sort of boil it all down to what is it all about? I, I hope that I'm capable of allowing a practice like that, or at least to philosophically be aligned with and have it be more in the front of my mind to be, able to nurture myself and to treat myself as a human being as well, not just kind of trapped behind your own eyes, projecting out into the world and having the world do things to you. I don't know. That's uh, There's a lot of musings that we could you know, explore from that vantage, but I think the, the greater point is around self-compassion as a shock absorber for all the really harsh things that happen in life. So I think attention and intention are keywords here because you were paying good enough attention to realize you were not being intentional in your life. You weren't leaning in. You were kind of trudging or kind of feeling like you were getting hit with it. And then your body even did this clever and I think positive self-sabotage, right? It didn't drink It ate some cookies in the middle of the day (laughs) and it just purposely kind of kneecaps you (laughs) in a pretty moderate way. You know, you could do a lot worse and I'm sure you have in the past and and William Burroughs certainly has. But then when you got to your rest, I noticed that's where you shifted into some pretty severe intention. (laughs) I mean, a body scan, choosing that activity, that's not flopping on the bed. That's not going from the cookies to the Doritos to the pepperoni pizza. That's shifting and and doing work of relaxation. And it probably didn't feel like work, though, once you kind of shifted into it. And that attention, I also just love that landing an airplane analogy. You know, he says pushing a broom should be like landing an airplane. Because when you're landing an airplane, especially, you're paying attention to the instruments. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to look at your speed and your altitude and all the other feedback mechanisms you're getting. And 
it's kind of fun to get clicked onto that and be like, I'm hearing what I'm hearing and I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And I'm, I'm moving on purpose and I'm like 4% ahead of myself instead of 4% mm. behind. And that's the difference between, uh, you know, surfing and being crushed. And that's what you did even with your rest. So in a way you were lazy in your work <laughs> in those moments. And that was, was kind of knocking you down. And then you were industrious in your rest. So I think our sort of traditional notions of what it means to work and what it means to rest are not as useful as we think. And it's more like, am I paying attention? Am I getting the instruments either way? Am I enjoying this or am I not enjoying this? Am I in this or am I out of this? Either way. And then do I have a degree of intention? And even if the intention is to just do nothing, you know, I had a tough point earlier this week where I was just like, do not should yourself. Every time you think mm-hmm. you should do something, you know, for the next couple hours at least, stop and recenter. You're just battering yourself with like, you should do this, you should do that, you should have done this, you should be this, or, you know, should have that. Those are all things to pay attention to. And rather than let them hit you, you know, kind of notice them and then they get a lot less compelling, mm-hmm. I'll say. And that was my intention. And all of a sudden it just sort of changed. And then when I worked, it was with a lot more of that easiness you're talking about rather than that kind of obligation and trudge and self-punishment. Nice job. That's awesome. Thanks. You know, it lasted a couple hours. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I lost it again. But... You yeah, know, there, yeah. there's a cycle of flow, but there's just a cycle of life too, right? I mean, I, I sort of swim around in that high performance world and a lot of the expectation is to be able to be more efficient and high functioning. And there's a lot of me that just kind of comes back to the whole notion that, well, you know, without dark, there's no light. Without sadness, there's no joy. I mean, we can't just get rid of a side, you know, an activity that I got turned on to and uh, I use sometimes as well. You know, for you, you're a writer and you think about all the things that you dislike about writing. You you get a blank piece of paper out and you just pepper it like, ah, this and this and then, you know, the business, the industry, blah, 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 all these things. And then I'm like, well, okay, now you have to turn the page over and write all the things you love about it. And you know, after the activity's over, you're like, well, I know you want to throw away all the bad things, but if you do, you're actually going to throw the whole thing away. Mm, it's written on the same piece it's, of paper. Right, right. Whoa. Shazam. Right. Trian. That was pretty good. Yes. <laughs> so catching ourselves, bringing attention to the moment, seeing what's really there without bringing a whole story of the vector of what I expect it to be and just really assessing it for its true form is I think just a beautifully elegant mechanism for human beings to navigate. It's not about being better or more efficient. It's about being easier with it, which kind of means more in tune. I mean, one of my favorite quotes is, Nature does not hurry, and yet everything is accomplished. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I want to close 
with an inspiring example, and it can be grand or it can be mundane. But I'm going to press you again. What is a specific moment? So I want a day. I want a time. I want a location. I want an activity of doing easy for you. I remember a long time ago, episode-wise, you talked about making perfect macaroni and cheese. That's an example. So you've already used that one. Yeah, I'm over that. But yeah, it can be work. It could be play. It could be home. It could be away. I'm going to go with the, the most immediate example of it, which happened the hour prior to you and I sitting down to do this. I, I live on a lake, and we have a, a rickety old pontoon boat, and it's, a fun, it's fun to, to pedal around. And we also have a few kayaks, but I also have this sea kayak that's inflatable, and it had been stuffed in the closet in our long winter I unfolded it. It was, you know, kind of some leaves on the inside. I had to clean it out. I had to get it prepped. I had a few uh, of the caps that I inflate the the kayak that were missing, and I had to hunt around in the, all the materials to try to find those and solve a leak, a small leak problem. And I did all those things easily. Mm, you did the scut work. I did. And then I put the boat in the water and it's a three person it can hold 650 pounds and it's this really heavy material it's really it's built for like the sea of cortez you know and so i took it on a ride and uh, a little wind kicked up and i had the side swell kind of hitting me and i was i was really having to time my paddles so that i was kind of launching up these waves and not getting blindsided by them and it was so you know, invigorating, and it was just necessary enough for me to have to pay 100% attention yes, and to put my four, it had body and movement in the exact type of way that I traveled across the lake in an effortlessness in terms of when am I going to get there that is usually not the case. Love it. Love it. And I love the cleaning and prep and stuff first, mm. too. You know, I've been trying to be more mindful of that kind of stuff and not necessarily put on a podcast or music and just see what is this like after the first minute of like, why am I doing this? I'm stuck and this is all I'm doing and kind of see what happens and have that landing an airplane or having the right line with a kayak or tree in a tennis game feel. Can there be that little dance? And I'm going to at least get up on my toes next time. I'm going to get in that ready position. I feel like that'll prime me either way. Wonderful. Any I'll final words? Last words are William S. Burroughs. You have a computer in your brain. DE will show you how to use it. But that is another chapter. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Please keep your emails and other feedback coming. We've really appreciated hearing what you're loving and what you want to see covered next. And it's pretty easy to know what to say in parting. Take it easy, Damon. Take it easy. That felt easy. Mm-hmm. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy N. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins at Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts 
best ways of being human and being alive. 